Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates, used to be Knudsen, with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 171. And today's episode is going to be a quick G update and then a discussion uh, that I think is real important, again, that I haven't read very much about, and that is uh, what is training pressure? What do we mean when we talk about pressure and what is it? So first to go on with the G thing, uh, let's see, she's now running um, uh, cold blinds almost every day. And at this point, I'd, I like to do that, weather allowing, of course, is to get out and run either a bunch of land blinds, uh, a number of water blinds, conceptual, very conceptual, like channel or swim across. And still can, sometimes I'll just put an orange bumper so that there is some visual thing to help out in the water. Um, right now I have some little orange flags that I use on the land and her sister has become a flag identifier. So I'm doing both of them at the same time. Fascinating uh, to do that, to do dogs out of the same litter because it just teaches you a lot about dogs. Um, and her sister looks for the flags and goes right to them and G still can be thinking other thoughts and seeing other things. So anyway, uh, both are running those, they're running cold lines and getting, some days yesterday was uh, not good. <laughs> and I write about that in the book. Some days you're going out and going through this and you wonder, did I just get another dog out of here? Uh, not the one that I've been doing. For some reason, bumping through this can be very challenging. Well, it, it really always is because it's such an alien concept. But some days she lines these things, and I know it's by accident. And other days, like yesterday, she would only take uh, left backs or leftovers. It's the only way she'd go. So it took quite a while to get all the blinds done. Um, but this is a very, very important part. I think it's a, it's a part to spend a lot of time at, just working through it until through repetition and experience, they really begin to understand uh, exactly what this is all about. So she's doing that. Her marking is is good. Um, working real lot on the wool with her. <clears throat> kind of pulled her out of the upland field for a few weeks just to really work on that to see what I can do when I go back. So things are going well with both of them, G and her sister. Uh, and we're just moving on. We're just bumping now through the every day you go do blinds and just take whatever you get. So on to uh, the topic of the day. And I, I'm just going to call it you know, a, a discussion of training pressure. And there's really two aspects to this topic. And that is, one, what is training pressure to the dog, to the animal being trained? And what is training pressure to the one that's exerting the pressure, uh, employing the pressure, and that is the trainer? And a lot of times, to, to be successful, those need to be aligned and same. And a lot of times, if not the, lot, the majority of the time, what happens is how the dog is interpreting what is called training pressure is different from what the intent of the trainer is. And that's where so, so many problems can arise. You can create mouth problems. You can create uh, resentment. You can create just all kinds of stuff that your dog does for no explanation. Very, very often it comes back to what you thought you were communicating to the dog was not what they got out of it. And so it's important for those of us that train dogs to 
to maybe evaluate this a little bit in our own minds and think about it, what it is to us and, and what it is to the dog. Because whenever you use any training pressure, um, I hope there's a, you know, a good reason behind it and you need to have a goal for what the dog is going to get out of it. So let's talk about what training pressure actually is. Because I think people have different uh, interpretations of it. So I'm going to talk about what it is to an animal. So training pressure can come in the form of literally your voice, unless you just talk all the time and so it's background noise. But if you built your voice into there to be important, then a change in decibel level or intensity can be uh, on a sensitive dog, a lot of training pressure. So your voice, training pressure is also your presence, your proximity to them. They are very physical, body-driven animals. And so if you're right close to them, whether it's standing over the top of them or beside them or very near to them, it's a, a different thing than if you're 10 feet or 100 feet away. So that's training that can be training pressure unless you just teach a dog to kind of tune you out then it's not training pressure physical physical means of enforcing things is training pressure so if a jerk on the leash is training pressure whether it's a jerk on here toward you or a jerk up on the head with a sit or a jerk backwards because they're going in front of you that is training pressure uh, enforcement with healing sticks or my little plastic bat that I like, physical enforcement of something where pop on the bottom, or maybe when you're trying to get them to move backwards, a little pop on the front of the chest, it shouldn't really be anywhere else. Those, that is training pressure. And then there's the electric collar, of course, which is the most instantaneous and easy to use form of training pressure. And that is literally putting a current across two two electrodes that's on their neck and causes pain at various easy to change levels and so causing pain on their neck assuming you've taught them what all of your commands mean then is enforcement of sit or hear or a little bit of woe or what however you use it so people use training pressure different ways but it's important when you're training a dog to break down all the different forms of pressure because they are present. And people may not take the time to think about that, but all of those, if I go stand right in your face to tell you something, you get a dev very different feeling from me than if I'm six feet away and looking over at somebody else while I'm telling you something. Very different feelings. And your dog is subject to the same thing. If you're standing right over them at a high decibel level or standing over there saying, hey, Fluffy, come on over here, right? that's two very different forms. Well, one is pressure and one probably really isn't hardly pressure at all. So it's important to understand that because to that animal, they are receiving information from you on all of those things. So it is critical that we understand that we are exerting pressure on these dogs in all of these different ways. So many times when we sort of thoughtfully, thoughtlessly 
are training our dog and we're yelling at them and we're grabbing them and then we use our hand to push their bottom down and then we jerk on the leash and we give me the collar we're going and you have all of this mixed kind of communication and various forms of pressure it's very hard for the dog to uh, get what it is you want them to get out of that and to understand uh, what it is they're supposed to do so m a lot of times a training session is really more of a survival session just to see if they can get through it and get out and then a lot of times if you're let's say you know it's, we're just having a bad day and we're just kind of mad at somebody else and some other thing that happened and you go out there and this anger and this emotion that you have inside all comes out gets released through various forms of training pressure that happens uh, you know I do that it, it's it's we all do that what we have to do is be aware that we do that and make sure that we take that into account again that requires a little thought ahead of time going what am I bringing into this conversely if you're not really into what you're doing or you don't agree with whatever you've been advised to do with your dog or you just don't feel well have a headache foot hurts you know, I'm just not into this right now, then that same thing comes out in the training of your dog and you, your use of pressure or lack thereof. Just lack thereof very often. Oh, man, I, whatever. I've, I don't, I don't want to get after this dog because I don't want anybody getting after me. And so our training session, once again, teaches something or communicates something that maybe we're not, that's not really what we want to do. So what just before even talking about using the pressure and what's it for and all that stuff, just what you bring into a very simple five-minute obedience session or you're just going to run some blinds or do some drills of some sort, you do need to be aware of what you're bringing into this and what, how that's going to impact the communication with your dog. That's important. So you need to understand, one, all the different forms of pressure the dog feels, whether you are aware of it or not, and then what's going to be coming through you because of your day, because of your emotion, because of your attitude or perspective, what's going to be coming through you to these dogs. And I'll give you an example. I always have new little dogs to train that don't know a lot of stuff, and I have to teach them obedience. And it's so interesting because when I go in there with some angst and you know, I'm not in a good mood and something happened. I had a lot of that in the last few months. And I have to go, okay, now wait a minute. Don't take this with you in there. Because when when I have done that, then I'm just getting after these guys. They're so darn irritating. I wish they knew more than this. I wish it, look at this one, doesn't even want to be doing this. And I'm just so unhappy. And what it is, is I'm unhappy with other things going on. And I'm just transferring that all over to this training session. And the poor dog kind of gets the brunt of what I've got going on in myself. And that happens a lot. And so I, you know, fortunately I've done it for so long and with so many dogs that I know that I can do that. And I try very hard to leave that out of, you know, the training session that we're going to have. So uh, a real important thing to understand on that. Now, training pressure. It takes all of these different forms. When we're talking about training pressure, now we're going to get into different philosophies about the use of pressure. And here again, now you get into this part. It usually depends on how you learn at the very beginning. 
you know, whoever taught you how to use training pressure, how to use the leash, how to use the healing stick or the plastic bat, how to use the electric collar. When you learn that from somebody, then that's what you know and that's very often what you carry in to your training. And my initial learning, of, I learned originally when I was a young kid, the, I learned from the dog obedience people. And that was primarily tons of attrition. You just did it over and over and over until they finally, you know, did what you, if you had a smart enough dog, did what you wanted. And then when I got into the field work and I started riding with field trial people, they were pretty, uh, now I would call them pretty heavy-handed. And it wasn't um, a well-thought-out heavy-handed. It was more of a punishment kind of a thing. If a dog does something wrong, then you punish them and the idea is when they do something wrong and you punish them, then they try not to do that again. <laughs> and I'm not sure that's exactly what dogs are getting out of it, but that's how I learned. And, and it, that's not my personal nature. I am not a punisher. And so it never set right with me in for a long time. And that's all I'd ever seen at that level. And it was like, it, I just, you know, I'm not sure it has to be this way. I remember one, th all these people are now no longer with us. A person had a uh, FC, F FCA, FC, and he, uh, one day the dog wouldn't give him the bird or something, something with the bird. I don't remember particularly, but he reached over and grabs his dog's upper jaw and takes his pigeon that we were using in the training session and just shoves it down his throat and shoves it down his throat. And, you know, and there's probably a few people listening to this goes, yeah, I'd do that, too, if he's eating a bird or whatever he's doing. And I was just in shock. I mean, <laughs> I, I could not do that. I just could not. I could not do that to the bird or the dog. I couldn't do that either one. And I, I just remember going, I don't, maybe I just can't do this stuff. Um, but over time, I came around to something that, a, a way of training dogs that is, comfortable with me it's my philosophy towards other living things and it's very effective I'm not a softie you know and I don't let anybody get away with anything but I don't think that I have to hurt them uh, to get them to do stuff and I don't have the punishment thing and usually in the use of training pressure what you find with people that are fall into these categories is that Whatever tends to work with them, with you, with me, you as a trainer, is sort of how we interact with the animals that we're training. So I don't, nobody ever had to punish me as a human, as a kid. No one, all you had to do is say, if you do that again, this consequence is going to happen. And for me, that was good, man. <laughs> I was like, all right, I won't do it anymore because I did not need to be thumped in any form or you know, hurt in any way. There are other people, and I, my brother was one. He was one where it, if he wanted to do something, that was pretty much it. <laughs> he was going to do it. You could do anything to him, punish him, reason with him, explain consequences to him, and he would continue to do exactly what he wanted. The only thing that ever stopped him was a high enough fear level, which ultimately there never really was. And so the way that he would approach teaching something was just thump him into it right off the bat. He wasn't a dog trainer, but I'm just saying his interaction. He would either absolutely not bother training it at all, be animals that he had, because, you know, he couldn't train him, so he wasn't going to train animals, 
or man you just hit them with the hard heavy right off the bat so that they know so that they're afraid and then they continue so those are two extremes in the same litter um, but that happens that's what we all bring in is that and the more thoughtful that we can be about it you know the better the more effective we're going to be so it's important to know what you look at pressure as is it a negative reinforcement all right and if you this is what's going to happen to you if you do this a lot of the electric collar uh, information you get when you buy an electric collar you know and they have the videos and then they have the, the written up stuff and a lot of it is you use electric collar for avoidance type stuff like use it if they get into the trash use it if they're up on the counter use it for whatever all stuff they use it for so it basically becomes a negative consequence it becomes a, you know you will experience pain if you do this again and that's a little bit different of what the electric collar can be used for in the training that we all do with performance dogs so there's a difference between the punishment thing and the teaching thing and where your personality falls in that is most likely exactly the way you're going to use it you never could have got my brother to do with humans or dogs what I do and you'd never get me to do or experience what he does. So that's a huge part of our use of training pressure. So one of the evaluations you hear a lot of times when you hear people talk about professional trainers in our world, it, it's almost, it's just funny. There should be a meme for it. But if you and I are standing around talking about trainer X and Y that are over in a net, you know, three states over, Generally, what you're going to hear is, um, assuming they're reasonably successful, is yeah, they're pretty hard on the dogs. They're pretty heavy. And, <laughs> and oh, really, that's not good. Or, yeah, that's, you got to be, that's the only, well, that's the kind of guy I like. Again, that's somebody just being true to their own nature. But you always hear the, the way to, to uh, criticize another trainer is to call him heavy-handed. And I don't even know if people really know what they're talking about when they say that. I mean, I think stuffing the bird down the throat would fall under the heavy-handed category. But before you weigh in and making you know, judgments of people, you do need to understand uh, what training pressure is. Before you use it, it is really good if in your mind you really understand, one, what you're doing, and two, what is the dog getting out of this? So that's very important. Am, am I going to... Every time they do something wrong, I'm going to hit the button on the electric collar or use the wiffle bat or whatever it is. So there's a lot, there's a lot of that that you have to think about. Let's talk about first, uh, yeah, we understand you and where you fall on this. And you can just look at your life and your upbringing and, you know, are you a punisher or are you a, I, I don't want to do anything. I'll just let it go. I'm not even going to address it. You know, where are you? Somewhere, I hope, more in the middle of that scale is, is best. But what is pressure to your dog, the specific dog you're training? And if you train more than one dog, they are probably different, very, very different. The, I talk about G and her sister. So I have two dogs out of one litter there that I get to train. Um, one takes a little bit more pressure than the other. And in terms of uh, G's mother, who is Z, Zia, 
I trained five dogs out of Zia's breeding, five of them. And each one was extremely unique and very different. One, basically, I just had to kind of look at him sideways and, and say, eh, no. And, man, we were good. And then all the way to the other extreme, one that I had to step outside a little bit of my comfort zone using pressure to slightly intimidate this dog so that he was like, oh, crap, she's really going to make me do that. I had, so I had every extreme in there. Had I trained all of them the same way, probably two of them would have made it, and maybe three. And then two, the two outliers would not have made it because I would have overdone the sensitive one and I would have underdone the hard-charging one. So train, and that's same breeding, same litter exactly, right? So they can be very different, and you have to be aware of what pressure is to your individual dog. Many times when we raise these dogs with no training pressure at all and they're just puppies and they can do whatever they want, now they have no idea that they're supposed to sometimes rein themselves in, be focused, and change their behavior. So then you have to go and use a lot more pressure than you probably ever would have, enforcement pressure, to go, yeah, you've got to sit. You've got to come when I call. So the upbringing of your animal, those of you with puppies, factors heavily into how much pressure you're going to have to use later on when you start teaching them more advanced things like come when I call you or sit and stay seated. So puppy owners, very important to communicate what you want to communicate now to the dog very simply without having to get mad, yell, scream, or hurt them. It's really better to teach these little guys from the beginning, here, here's how this works. You gotta allow them the joy and the spontaneity and puppy spunk, you gotta have that. But at the same time, you can also teach them. And sometimes you just have to reel yourself in and do what I ask you to do. So just my little puppy blurb that I always wanna get out. But when you start training your dog, you need to be aware of what do we have. And hopefully it's one that you've taught, you need to respond to me. You need to, li to listen. Uh, again, in the book, I spend, I don't know how many chapters talking about, all of them actually, how important the ultimate goal is that this dog responds to you. Responds to your movement, responds to your voice, responds to the things that you have created for it to carry out and perform with. They, that's the key to pressure, is if you've taught the dog respond to me, then your use of training pressure, again, is going to be much less and much more clearly understood by the dog. So training pressure to the dog is going to be, unless you hardened it to this, is going to be if you say something, if you get close to them, if you put on their training equipment, okay, now there's some obligation to carry out stuff. That is the beginning of training pressure on these dogs. It is a mental obligation we're working now. All right, I need to pay attention and be responsive. You don't, w if you've never taught a dog that, then you actually have to do a lot of jerking on the chain and a lot of popping on the bottom, which is physical training pressure, because now that's the only means you have to teach the dog, hey, I've changed the rules before you didn't have to listen, now you do. So you have created the training pressure requirement that you didn't really have to create, or at least such a big one, when you <coughs> haven't raised them to understand what the relationship is. 
Now, use of training pressure. If you are comfortable with the punishment thing, move on to another podcast. If you want to use it as more of a teaching thing, then stay with me on this. But training pressure, how it works in a dog's head, not yours and mine, but in a dog's head, is something that happens to them once they've been taught a command. And we'll just use sit here, for example. But it's all the simple, understood commands you have. When you teach them that sit means drop your bottom, at first you just put them in the sitting position with the word sit, right? And you hold their little neck up and their little bottom down, and you teach them what sit is. Now, young, young puppies may not even mentally comprehend what that is. So you can't teach stuff like that until they can absorb that information, uh, process it, and then execute what it is you're asking. And that, on the young guys, may take a while. So then all you can do is be consistent when you say sit and make sure you push their bottom down. Once they do get that, now we have to teach them they have to do it on their own without you doing all of the work for them. So when you're teaching a dog sit that's old enough to understand and gets it, and you say sit and you know that they know what that means, now we can use some training pressure to enforce. So now when they can, when they know sit, that's when on a young dog, I'll get out my little plastic bat, I'll say sit, and I'll pop them right on this, on their, near their tailbone, just right there in their back, lower back, just above the tail. I'll say sit and pop there. The pop of itself, and that's why I like a plastic bat, because it's a large surface, it can't hurt them at all. And you say pop, and the pop, and the feeling of that, that quick impulse on their bottoms, and the and the uh, the strength of it makes them sit down because they don't want their bottom popped. Again, this isn't a big thing for some dogs. It's just the lightest tap, and for other dogs, it's more for them to go. Okay, I will sit. So we're teaching and enforcing sit with training pressure, and what they learn in this is when I respond to the command sit. I get no pressure. I, I just I control the pressure by responding, and then we don't use that pressure unless we have to go back and remind them of some things. So we're just teaching them to respond, and it's a bit of an avoidance thing. But I, I will never get popped on the bottom if I sit down and give my best effort to sit, not the slow. Okay, I'm getting down. All right, that's good. Not that, but oh, sit, sure, boom. That's what we're looking for. So it is, it is a kind of uh, you can avoid all training pressure by responding. That's what it is. There's not really any other way to require that a dog do something very quickly with some reasonable sense of urgency without using a little bit of this training pressure avoidance thing. And if you're going to move on to the electric collar and some more advanced forms of training pressure, you must acquaint your dog with training pressure first and have them understand what it is and that they control it by responding. So if you're just jumping in with electricity before you've taught them this stuff, that's kind of a shocking thing. It's much easier if you use mechanical means that are more conceptual than painful for them to learn, respond, and you control the pressure. Same thing on the uh, leash with 
uh, on the leash with here. Don't try and get 50 feet away and call them and see if they do it or not. We are teaching a response to the command. Said this a hundred times. So you once you've got sit well with a jerk and you enforce physical enforcement on sit with a pop on the bottom or a jerk up on the leash because the head goes up, the bottom tends to go down. When you have that, now let's do a little bit of here. Distance is not the goal, it's response. So the dog is sitting, you step in front of them two feet. That way you can make sure they remain seated. They can't get up, have them sit. Now we're going to use the word here, or whatever you use. And then I'm going to use a jerk, not a rolling in on a fishing line, just a little jerk, and I'm going to back up three, four feet with a jerk on here, and then have them come forward, however far I backed up, and sit down again in front of me. So I do that several times, but that the jerk on the leash in a horizontal plane toward you is training pressure on here. And so over a few days when you begin this, and we're, we're just within leash length always, and we're not going to test it by 40 feet out there. Let's don't test anything. You're teaching. Test at the end of the semester, not now. So call them to you with the here. Pretty soon, just like with the pop on the bottom, when they learn that when they learn that they can completely avoid any of your training pressure by responding, and not slowly and like, all right, I guess I'll do it. Not that, but a short synapse path. Remember, we're creating those sh short neural paths on, on, um, uh, on responding. So here, and then they make a good effort to come to you and sit down. Okay, now we've created our initial response to here. And so we can then, and again, don't, let's get how far away. Let's just keep that good short response for now when you're doing all this teaching stuff. Later on, you can then enforce, and when we use the electric collar, say, with a real long cord, it's hard to use, have much pressure with that because all I got to do is move a little bit and it's, they lose all the tension, that which is a loss of pressure. S so, you know, s always stay close enough that you can maintain your enforcement pressure if you need it. And then later on, because you did put physical pressure on them with the command and they understand I can control all pressure on me by responding, then when you collar condition later on, it's understood. They understand exactly what it is you're asking. So it's not like what people do is like, I, this dog does not come when I call. I need an electric collar. I'm going to go buy one or borrow my <coughs> uncle's or something, and I'm going to go do this. No. Teach your dog to respond to training pressure that's mechanical first. And one of the most important reasons for this is if you've never done that, the mechanical pressure, popping them on the bottom and they're jerking on the leash, if you've never done that, then you don't have a sense of timing <coughs> on on when to say it and when to enforce it. Th it has to be hear, feel enforcement. Hear the command, feel enforcement. If you call them and they don't come, and then three seconds later you decide to push the button, they just got hit by a bolt of lightning because they don't, they heard you say something and then all of a sudden, boom, this thing happens and it makes no sense. Well, now they're gonna run away because that part of the ground is very scary. Oh, you can, so many things can be created by <coughs> not having the right timing between hearing the command, feeling the enforcement. Hearing the command, feeling the enforcement. When you teach a dog with pressure that way, 
then they learn to respond. And then you don't have to use a whole lot of training pressure because you have been very consistent. But if you don't have that, if you tell them something and then four seconds later when your mind goes, they did not do what I said, and bam, you push on a button, they're getting bolts of lightning. And so now you're mad and they ran away and what's wrong with this dog and all this kind of stuff because you did not maintain the very simple, clear understanding that should be in that dog's head. It doesn't matter what you're thinking. You have to be in the shoes of that dog and understand they just ignored my hear command. I'm going to give the command again and I'm going to enforce. So when you do it that way <coughs> and keep it clear in your mind, the dog does the same thing. When you just have this, good, I got this electric collar, this son of a gun's going to do whatever I say. Okay, now we don't, we have an entirely, we have more of the barroom brawl kind of thing going on than we do the teaching and learning kind of thing going on. And if you're mad and then when you're mad you push that button a whole lot more, then they begin to associate training pressure with anger. And <coughs> that's a hard one to win for the dog. You know, it, you feel better because by golly, you're making this dog do stuff. But the dog is learning when, when that person comes to me in that state, this is not going to be fun. And so they kind of shut down and get ready for what's, you don't have 100% of that dog's conviction in what you're doing. So that's one kind of pressure. <coughs> and you'll notice most of the, the people that are effective with a lot of different dogs, they use it that way. And so for some dogs, you may have to use a little bit more enforcement pressure on things and others less uh, enforcement pressure. You need to adjust to the level that that dog tells you, this is what I respond to. I, I respond right here. The punishment thing is just that. And if you believe that punishment is a good way to teach, then I would, you know, I'm glad I'm not around you because in all my years of humans and dogs, I have never found that punishment to be an effective tool to make somebody expand and grow and get better at something. I'm not saying let them get away with anything. If you ever trained with me, they, you don't get away with stuff at all because you got to stay on top of everything. But we're going to enforce things they know and use that to get them to learn how to do a lot of things. So uh, we've gone on half hour here. And uh, this is a large topic, but it's very important. And particularly on behalf of the dogs, I do this because, uh, you know, they get the anger thing and the punishment thing and the I'm going to show you thing. And that just isn't the thing to do. And I'm going to say particularly punishment. I just disagree with that entirely. Uh, no animal came on the earth for you to punish them for not playing your game as well as you want them to do. I just don't think that's how that is. So at least no matter what you do, look at your, look at your opinion of training pressure, how you use it. Are you coming at it from a darker side, the punishment side? Are you coming at it from a teaching side where we're going to enforce and teach you that response eliminates all pressure for you and so that's all you have to do assuming the dogs like what they're doing if they don't then gosh don't beat them into it so that's the, the one today I, I hope for some people that's useful for others it's probably just a lot of gobbledygook <laughs> but oh uh, it's coming into fall we have frost warnings coming now so the seasons are certainly changing hunting season is on people are getting excited 
I hope everybody's having a wonderful fall and stays healthy. And G and I will be back soon. <laughs>